You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. The podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast. On the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank Thank you. you. Recording. We're, we are recording we are. as part of our uh, fantastical, I don't even remember what we called these, these, these mm. sort of fantastical, um, you know, movie yeah. musical type situations we right. de- we decided. Like I did Big Fish, now you're going to yeah. do. Tuck Everlasting. Mm-hmm. Um, both of these were on books too, mm-hmm. based on books. Yep. Neither of which either one of us have read. <laughs> Although I'm not sure because I love that kind that genre. Yeah. Yeah. Really love the serials, like the series fantasy books. Yeah. And if it's just one standalone, I almost don't feel like it's worth it because I don't want to invest in so in like, you know, getting the characters and like loving Mm -hmm. them to have them just have one book. (laughs) I get that. I get that. Uh, Tug Everlasting um, is a, a really a children's book from 1975. Oh, um, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, it was written by Natalie Babbitt. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's there were two movies uh, based on the book, one from 1981. Oh, and then there's another Tug Everlasting that a lot of people know because Rory from Gilmore yes. Girls plays Winnie. <laughs> yes. And um, that one's on Disney Plus now, and that's from 2002. Okay. That's Um, the one I remember. I didn't realize there was another movie. Yeah, no, I didn't either until we went on IMDb, and I'd never seen the 2002 one, so we did watch it last night. Oh, fun. And Megan hadn't either, and you know she's a huge Gilmore Girls fan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she was like, it's like a sacrilege. I haven't seen this movie yet. Um, my sources are going to be a Playbill April 26, 2016 article called A Winnie Winnie Situation by Harry Hahn. Um, there, I did not listen to this podcast, but on BPN, which Pamela and I are a part of, the Little Me podcast, uh, Little Me Growing Up Broadway has episode six with Sarah Charles Lewis, who plays Winnie in the musical that I'm okay. about to talk about. Cool. Um, and then I also sourced Musicals of the 2010s by Dan Dietz, a May 16th, 2016 Broadway World article by Michael Dale. Um, and it's called, yeah, it's called Open Book, Tuck Everlasting's book writers, Claudia Shear and Tim Federal, uh, providing dirt for a garden. Um, if you read the article, you'll understand why it's called Providing Dirt for a Garden. It's an analogy that Claudia Shear makes. Okay. <laughs> so backtracking, the one thing I want to say about the 2002 movie is that it doesn't stick very close to the book. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, it, you saw the movie, right? You said? I don't know, a actually. A billion years ago, probably, if you had. Yeah. I mean, it would have yeah. been in 2002 if I did. Okay. Well, the, the sort of 
crux of the story of that version is like they have like a love story between Winnie and Jesse Tuck. Mm-hmm. And that's not the book. Oh. Um, the, it's, it's like Winnie Foster has a crush on Jesse Tuck, but I mean, it was like a full out like love story in the Disney movie. Okay. And the two actors that played it looked like they were closer to each other's age. And in the book, like, she's, like, 10 or 11 years old. Okay. And he's 17 slash 104. Oh, that's problematic. Ding, ding, ding! (laughs) (laughs) Tell her what she's won. (laughs) She's hitting the problems on the head already. All right, so backstory about how Tug Everlasting became a musical. When lyricist Chris Miller and composer Nathan Tyson were students in NYU's graduate musical theater writing program together, they actually weren't supposed to work together in the program until the last assignment of the year, but they became friends and began writing together before they were assigned. Um, And this gave them a lot of time together, so they'd already written several songs and were ready to present many of these songs um, when it got time for their cycle together at the end of this this year. Uh, In the opening night article on Playbill, um, there's, mm, okay, the opening night Playbill article reminisces about the show's origins. This is a direct quote. They, Miller and Tyson, grew up with the Babbitt book, which attained a cult status as the fountainhead for the middle school set. (laughs) I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> um, Tyson and Miller said, we both read it in school and just always loved it. When we graduated from NYU, we were talking about musicals that we wanted to write and Tuck Everlasting went to the top of the list. They began writing songs for the show and pitched them to Beth Williams of Broadway Across America. Um, unbeknownst to them, Barry Brown had purchased the rights to the book And the night, okay, so during the day, Beth heard from the boys, they were pitching the songs and everything. And then later that night, she was meant to have dinner with producer Barry Brown. They're at dinner and she, and he's like, I just got the rights for this book. (laughs) Do you want to go in on it with me? And it was Tug Everlasting. And she was like, you stop. I just listened to two guys play me like all these songs from it, like pitching this idea to me. <laughs> I love this. like this very that. weird sort of kismetic. Yes. Yeah. Really neat. That is cool. Um, so uh, Chris and Nathan found out that this had happened and asked to write songs on spec to get the job. Barry and Beth gave them the opportunity, so they went and wrote some more songs than they'd had already and pitched them to get the job. Two of the original songs from that, from that uh, pitch made it into the final show. Okay. Book writers Claudia Shear and Tim Federal uh, joined the creative team after the songwriting team. Claudia was on board first. She'd worked with James Lapine previously on her show Dirty Blonde, which he directed and she wrote and starred in. Cool. From that experience, she brought in the technique she learned working with James into the process of writing Tuck Everlasting with Chris, Nathan, and Casey Nicola, who's the oh, director of yeah. Tuck Everlasting. Amazing. At the time that, that Tuck Everlasting was running, Casey Nicola had four shows on Broadway oh, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Something Rotten, Book of Mormon, Aladdin, and Tuck Everlasting. Wow. Tim Federal came in later as a co-author of the book of the musical. He started out on Broadway as an actor, starring in the 2003 revival of Gypsy with Bernadette Peters. He then went on to be in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Billy Elliot, and a few others. He eventually pivoted his career to writing books. Just before he was brought in to potentially work on Tuck, he was asked to co-write a musical for Nickelodeon since he was known for writing fiction for young people. In a May 2016 article from Broadway World, Tim says, I've been a fan and friend of Tuck Everlasting, stretching back to one of its workshops. I got a call last summer to come take a look at it again, as Casey had been working on it with Claudia Shear, Nathan Tyson, and Chris Miller for close to seven years, 
wow. and felt they could use a fresh set of eyes, which is pretty normal on many shows. That's true. Yeah. What started as a peripheral role for me grew pretty quickly and organically into a co-writership, and it's been quite a ride. So this was Tim's first time writing a book for a musical. He had just written, like I said, a couple of uh, fiction novels for young people and like some cocktail recipe books. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, such a funny, like a funny pivot. <laughs> um, so Tug Everlasting was supposed to open in Boston at the Colonial Theater in 2013, according to a Playable article from March of 2012. In April of 2013, the announcement was made that the pre-Broadway bow would be postponed due to there being a lack of available Broadway theaters for the 2013-2014 season. So they wanted it to okay. run at the Colonial and then as soon as that run was over and it was supposed to be um, summer of 2013, Right. Uh, they ended up pushing it back because there was not going to be a theater available to them for that for that 2013-2014 yeah. season. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you don't want to open a show at the end of the year because then the beginning of the year, as we've talked about, is a right. very slow season and it's very difficult to make it through that season if you haven't already found your audience. That's right. That's right. The world premiere of Tuck Everlasting was presented by the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia on January 21st, 2015, when it began previews and officially opened on, uh, sorry, it began previews on the 21st and officially opened February 4th and closed on the 22nd of that month. So that was always the plan. The 2015 Atlanta cast included 11-year-old Atlanta-based actress, Sarah Charles Lewis, who was starring as Winnie Foster, Andrew Keenan Bolger as Jesse Tuck, Robert Lindsay as Miles Tuck, Carolee Carmelo as Ma Tuck. Now she appeared as Ma Tuck from through uh, January 21st through February 5th. Then Tony winner Beth Lavelle performed the role from the 6th to the 22nd. Oh, interesting. And this was because Carolee had to run and do Finding Neverland. Okay. Carolee, though, did the cast recording of Tech Yeah, and she did it on Broadway as well. Okay, okay, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. she, But then she also, so the, she also ended up doing Finding Neverland on yeah. Broadway, too, once. <laughs> we all know what's going to happen to Tuck because this is <laughs> Theater Geeks Anonymous. Yeah. Um, all right, Terrence Mann played man in the yellow suit yeah oh, my two favorites i know i was like why didn't pamela make this <laughs> this is like her these are her people <laughs> yeah yep he played the man in the yellow suit uh michael park was pa tuck um and michael park had previously worked with chris and nathan in the off-broadway show the burnt part boys which was the other show they wrote right before and was off Broadway right before um, Tuck Everlasting. Okay. Fred Applegate played Constable Joe. Michael War Wartella uh, was Hugo, and Shannon Eubanks was Nana, and Lisa Jane was Betsy Foster, the mother. Um, I have some questions though, because when the first announcement of the Boston run happened, uh, Sadie Sink, who was on Broadway playing Annie when the first announcement was made in, in 2012, was meant to play Winnie Foster. And okay. I kept trying to find out like what happened and why she didn't. So if anybody out there who listens to us knows the answer to that, I'd really love to know that backstory. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then also another notable cast change was David Garrison, uh, who was in Titanic, he was supposed to play the man in the yellow suit. If anybody out there knows why he didn't, I, I'm guessing it could have just been something as simple as a scheduling conflict, but yeah. I didn't really see that much happening on Sadie's, you know, radar. So I don't know if that's necessarily well, what happened. I mean, that for such a young performer, it could be yeah. that she got too tall or she, you know, totally she came into puberty too soon and then she looked more like a woman than a little girl. It's like, right. Cause two years is huge yeah, when you're huge. that little, when you are 12 years old, two years means the difference for everything. Yes. 
Yes, it really does. Yeah. But it also could have been just something super benign, like her mom wanted her to go to a real school. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) That's really true. Let's give Broadway a break for now. You just played Annie. Let's like have some normalcy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There, when I was reading stuff, like there was some talk that, um, you know, they, they wanted her to be, uh, you know, 11 on, do you watch Stranger Things? Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's some, like, there were, like, buzzings of her, like, people wanting her to be on Stranger Things, like, she almost maybe was on Stranger Things. Okay. I don't know, so I, it sounds like she's still working. Cool. Um, the Atlanta creative team, <laughs> I wrote, the Atlanta creative team was thus. I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Spangler, uh, who did A Christmas Story, the musical, was the set designer. Tony Award-winning costume designer Greg Barnes, who did Kinky Boots and Follies, was the costume designer for the show. And then the um, Tony Award-winning lighting designer, Kenneth po- Posner, no, Posner, sorry, Kenneth Posner, uh, who did Kinky Boots and Pippin, was also on board. And also Tony Award-winning sound designer, Brian Ronan, who uh, did Beautiful, the Carol um, King musical and the Book of Mormon, um, did the sound design for Tuck Everlasting. So Tuck Everlasting was a huge success, right? and also Casey Nicola who does like everything you know this was like that is what's crazy because we've talked about lots of shows now up to this point where you're like heavy hitters these people are like know what they're doing have done this before have been super successful Mm -hmm. what could go wrong (laughs) yeah 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 Broadway's a fickle mistress she really is she really is so here's a synopsis of the musical. I, you, many of you maybe have read the book, uh, and then many of you maybe have seen the 2002 movie if you haven't seen the 1981 version. Um, okay, so act one, the show opens in Tree Gap, New Hampshire, where the various characters name what they want most in the world. Winnie Foster to go to the fair, Mae Tuck to see her sons again, Jesse Tuck to take in the familiar sights of Tree Gap, Miles Tuck to be unstuck in time and the man in the yellow suit to learn the secret of Tree Gap Wood and become immortal. (laughs) Winnie goes into her house where she spends most of her time with mother and her grandmother now that her father has died. That was another difference from the movie where the movie had Victor Garber playing the father. But like the musical and I believe the book, he is not with us. Okay. And what I really, I was a little annoyed because I thought, well, Disney, why couldn't this just be a female-centric, like, why did you decide that that you had to put a father in there? Okay, that's my, I'm off the soapbox. You have to have the authority of a man telling your story, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Frustrating. (laughs) Super frustrating. (sighs) Disney. Um, and so, also Disney for having to make it be some sort of a love story instead yeah. of just having a girl be her own self. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And she was pretty like a fierce, uh, you know, Rory did a good job. I can't, I can't remember. Rory's Alexis running. Bledsoe, I think. Bledel. Bledel. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. yep. Um, she, she, she was great in the part. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, why keep her character that wild and like right. strong and don't hem her in by give like this freaking romance. Why? Why does she have to change her wildness to cater to a man that she happens to like? She should just be able to, he gets to be who he is. Yeah. Why can't she be who she, who she is? Ugh. Yeah. So gross. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Boo! Okay. So boo. (laughs) When he goes into her house where she spends most of her time with mother and her grandmother now that her father has died, she wishes for a life bigger than their living room and wants to explore Tree Gap Wood in the song Good Girl Winnie Foster, which is real cute. Is it adorable? It's adorable. Adorable. I'm sure I've heard it because it's on my um, Spotify playlist. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. sure these songs have come up and I've just maybe not noticed that I've listened to them. 
so precious. After running outside, once again, Winnie encounters a parade led by the man in the yellow suit that leads to the fair and the song Join the Parade. Desperate to see the fair, Winnie Foster opens the gate and runs into the wood after the faint sound of a music box. There she meets Jessie Tuck, who drinks from the spring. To keep her from doing the same, Jessie offers to show her to show her the top of the world as seen from the trees. After he and Miles kidnap Winnie and bring her back to the Tuck's house to keep her from revealing their secret, back at the foster home, mother has called on Constable Joe and his son Hugo to search for Winnie in the song, Hugo First Case. Go ahead. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Tucks across the wood from the Fosters tell Winnie in the story of the Tucks and how they have become immortal by drinking the water in Tree Gap Wood. Winnie stays the night with the Tucks and while finding clothes for Winnie to wear, May tells the story of the most beautiful day when Angus proposed. Winnie decides that staying in the attic is its own kind of adventure, but decides to sneak out with Jesse to join the parade. At the fair, Winnie and Jesse play games and decide to become friends that travel the world together in the song Partner in Crime, which is also adorable. <laughs> they leave the fair and sit on top of the Tree Gap water tower where Jesse convinces Winnie to drink the water when she turns 17 so they can, so they can be married. The man in the yellow suit overhears Jesse's speech and decides to follow the tux to get to the enchanted water. Act two. The man in the yellow suit celebrates his victory with those from the traveling fair in the song, Everything's Golden, which is peak Terrence man. I love peak Terrence peak. man. <laughs> oh, it's real good. Back at the Tuck's house, Winnie contemplates Jesse's proposal. The Tucks discover that Jesse has asked Winnie to drink the water and become angry with him. Winnie talks to Miles about his son, Thomas, who May mentioned earlier, and Miles shares how he has not seen Thomas in 80 years in the song Time, which Megan cried at. It's very moving. It's a good yeah. song, real good song. The Tucks then lament what it means to be stuck in time forever and aim to live more fully in the coming years. The man in the yellow suit visits the Fosters and convinces mother to give Tree Gap Wood to him if he can safely bring Winnie home. Constable Joe and Hugo see the man leaving the foster home and remark that you can't trust a man dressed in yellow. Ain't that the truth. And there's, <laughs> Nana says this great line. She calls him um, an evil banana. <laughs> I love it. Isn't it great? That's great. <laughs> I love that his name in the show is Man in the Yellow Suit. Well, it's also in the, in the book. Oh, okay. Name. Yeah, yeah. He's it. just the man in the yellow suit. Yeah. We don't need to give a name to evil. No. He can just be but I do him. love the an evil banana. Evil banana. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, Angus takes Winnie fishing and attempts to convince her to live a mortal life instead of drinking the water with Jesse. The a Angus is the father. Miles approaches and tells him that Jesse has gone without saying goodbye, and Winnie says they can find him at the spring in Tree Gap Wood. There, Jesse encounters the man in the yellow suit he t who tells him of his long journey to find the spring and forces Jesse to take him there, and the story, the story of the man in the yellow suit. <laughs> the Tucks and Winnie find Jesse, and the man in the yellow suit offers to make them partners in his water selling business. After the man takes Winnie hostage, Jesse offers him a vial of water in exchange for her, but he can drink it, however. May hits him on the head with a rifle and kills him instantly. Kills who instantly? The man in the yellow, the suit. In the yellow suit. Okay. Because wow. he was holding Winnie hostage. Yeah. And he wanted to drink the water and they don't want it to get out because they understand like how it really can just permeate evil. And well, the Tucks really understand that? Right. They did it accidentally. They just right. came across the spring and drank from it, and then they never got sick and never died. Yeah. Like, that was... So, I, yeah, there is a huge responsibility to keep this a secret because mm -hmm. of the dangers involved in whoever finds out about it. Yeah. 
And one of the things they say is like, they have to be the parents and the kids have to be apart every 10 years yeah. for 10 years at a time, because being apart for 10 years at a time, like people forget faces. Mm -hmm. So other, like then people don't come after them. It's right. just a way to live for all eternity. Yeah. Oh man. No kidding. Like there's just, cause even as, as, as hard as your life may be at some times, you know that it's going to change and that you're, you're going to get older, that you're eventually yeah. going to die. <laughs> but yeah, to take yeah. that equation out of it completely. I'm going to change the subject for just a second. Only because sure. this is what it reminds me of. We can keep this in though. Um, have you watched the good place? Not yet. It's so good. First of all, it's so <laughs> good. But the end season, the, oh, I don't know, should I, spoiler alert, I'm going to give a couple of seconds to leave or to fast forward so you don't get a spoiler. The final season has a little, like, a, a bit of a twist. So the mm -hmm. main characters are able to then finally go to the good place. Mm -hmm. But everyone in the good place is bored and apathetic and tired and they have kind of turned into mush because they're just alive but there's no end in sight there so there's no excitement anymore like when you were living on earth you were going to die you have 80 to 100 years that's all you get so you just you do what you can you live it up you do it but now it's infinity like you there's no end to it so there's no reason there's no purpose for living anymore and yeah. so in order to kind of make it a good place again they change the rules again so that you have the choice that if you want to stay in the good place fantastic you can stay as long as you want but there's the option to walk through that door and then it'll be done and a lot of people will kind of fulfill their purpose in the good place and then they're like okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to turn into whatever the universe wants to turn me into. So that was kind of, that just reminded me of that. Oh, <laughs> I know. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's, I mean, so it's fascinating. Yeah. That is such a good show. <laughs> That's what I've heard. That should be a Broadway show. Megan likes it too. Oh, it's so good. And but you it's, have it's Kristen Bell's in it. Yeah. Oh, I love Kristen Bell. Don't you? I love it. But it's, I mean, it's such a good show. It's, it really is, but it just kept getting better. And then you're like, how are they going to end this? And then it was like, oh, that is such a good ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spoilers over. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good, um, like uh, parallel. Mm. It's really good. After the man takes Winnie hostage, Jesse offers him a vial of water in exchange for her before he can drink it. However, May hits him on the head with a rifle and kills him instantly. When Constable Joe and Hugo arrive, Winnie tells them that she killed the man in the yellow suit when he tried to pull a knife on her and Jesse. Close to being exposed, the Tucks leave town on the advice of Constable Joe. They say goodbye to Winnie and offer her their music box, thanking her for reminding them that there is still something to live for. Jesse says he will leave instructions on how to find him and leaves her with a vial of water from the spring. Winnie contemplates drinking the water and what it means to be everlasting, hmm. but ultimately decides to live out her mortal life and pours the water on a toad instead. Oh, that poor toad has to live forever now. I know. <laughs> I know. Poor toad. Let's just dump it out. Put it I back know. in the spring. I don't know, but don't. Don't put on a tree. I don't know. Let a plant live forever. <laughs> Poor frog. <laughs> no. Through a ballet sequence, the ensemble shows the remainder of Winnie's life. She marries Hugo and has a son while her grandmother, Constable Joe and mother pass away one by one. Before she dies, Winnie opens the Tuck's music box and dances one last time at the gate of the foster home as she did when she was young. The Tucks return to Tree Gap after Winnie has died and discover her grave, 
which is dedicated to a cherished wife, devoted mother, and dearest grandmother. They celebrate the fact that she lived a full life and encountered the toad when he made immortal with the water from the spring <laughs> and the song, The Wheel. He's just like sitting on top of the grave. He's like, darn this woman. She did this to me. I know. <laughs> now you can watch. Oh. Tuck Everlasting, the Atlanta production mm -hmm. on the interwebs. I don't want to tell people a name because I don't want it to get taken down. Yeah. But watch it. I'll send you the link offline, okay. Pamela, so you can watch it. <laughs> I <get to> watch that. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good bootleg. It really awesome. is. Oh, good. Where it's not like the only one movies. I've seen so far doing this podcast that rivals it is the American Psycho bootleg. That thing okay. is so clear, nice. so good. Nice. This is this is almost as good as that one. All right. Mm -hmm. All right, so the reviews for Tuck Everlasting in Boston were mixed. In a review by Mark Rizzo of Variety, he states that it's rich in warmth and spunk, but needs a dash more vinegar to cut through the waters of sentimentality if it wants that evergreen life. Despite its existentialism, light sweep. This is an intimate family story of love, loss, and the purpose and power of storytelling in the American folk tradition of Twain and Wilder, with music and dance elements that deepen the story's themes and emotions while also helping to deflect some of the narrative's more head-scratching details. Smartly, the book by Claudia Shear steers clear of the treacly teen romance of the 2002 Disney film adaptation and smartly returns the story's heroine to childhood. Casey Nicola here explores a more delicate and lyrical approach, even creating a moving ballet sequence that reps one of the evening's highlights. It really was oh, beautiful. Cool. Megan was sobbing. <laughs> it was. Um, and I have several friends who did see it on Broadway and had the same reaction to the ballet sequence. They were <laughs> like, oh, it was that. really beautiful. Yeah. Um, the, the show's warm tones are deep into by Walt Spengler's set, grounded by his swirling forestry and Kenneth Posner's golden glow lighting. Well-crafted tunes by Chris Miller and Nathan Tyson set their musical motif and folk roots meets Broadway territory. A pair of touching ballads, My Most Beautiful Day and For the Best, are rendered by Tuck Matriarch May, played by Carolee Carmelo, who ankles the cast this week to begin rehearsals for another flight into fancy Finding Neverland. Beth Lavelle succeeds her. Charles Isherwood for the New York Times uh, of states of the Atlanta production. A ballet was once a staple of the American musical in the 1940s when the form first grew to maturity. But dancers swirling through dream sequences haven't been, haven't been seen much for the past few decades or more. As more vernacular movement or a little dance at all has become a standard. So it's a wonder and a pleasure that the stirring climax of the new family musical, Tuck Everlasting, making its premiere at the Alliance Theater here consists of a gorgeous sweeping ballet that dramatizes the life of its heroine as she grows from young girl to young woman to motherhood and beyond. In an interview for Playbill about Tuck Everlasting, this is the same opening night one, Casey Nicola states, I've always wanted to do a ballet about that, and I finally found the show to do it in. <laughs> Nicola beamed, I did a very small version of it, a three-minute sort of thing with five people in it for a presentation, and then when I realized how much plot had to be covered at the end, <laughs> I decided to expand on that ballet. I'm so proud of it. That's awesome. The Atlanta production also received a fair amount of Atlanta-based theater awards awards called the Susie Bass Awards. It was nominated for 11 and won four. Uh, outstanding lighting design, outstanding production of a musical for Tuck Everlasting, outstanding scenic design, outstanding sound design. The musicalized version of Tuck Everlasting began its previews on Broadway on March 31st of 2016 and officially opened April 26th. Uh, I didn't write this down, but I believe it was at the Broadhurst Theater. Mm. Reviews were mixed for this as well, and the show only received one Tony nomination for costume design by Greg Barnes. 
Sarah Charles Lewis won a Theater World Award for her performance as Winnie Foster. Tuck Everlasting closed on Broadway after 67 performances on May 29th of 2016. According to a New York Times article written by Jennifer R. Jones, and she's talking about like the demise of the show, while many shows have difficulty finding their footing, Tuck Everlasting was cursed with a particular blend of misfortunes, poor reviews, lackluster awards recognition, and middling box office. Even if it, in its final week of performances, the week ending May 29th, 2016, the show brought in $410,516, which represents only about 36% of its gross potential. Ouch. Yeah. This was an increase of only $85,155 from the week before. Whereas the final week of performances often spurs a greater interest in attending a yeah. show. Right. Nonetheless, that was the highest percentage reached of its gross potential for any week of the run, except the first partial week of four performances, which brought in $263,150, or about 50% of its gross potential. Hmm. In any case, the average across the run was just 33.72% of its gross potential, which is nowhere near the grosses that would have been required to recoup a show's capitalization. Whereas the cast album may bring in a small amount of additional revenue, the US tour, if there is one, is really the only potential way the investors may begin to think about making back some of their money. It lost all of its $11 million investment. And as far as I know, there wasn't any talk of doing a tour. No, there was no tour. Um, it's been done regionally. Mm -hmm. um, there's a cast recording, and you can listen to that on Spotify, as Pamela said earlier. It's, um, it's a Love it. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, it's available for licensing, and like I said, it seems to do pretty well outside because it's outside of Broadway because it's so family-oriented. Right. Um, as I stated before, there's a bootleg version available on the interwebs, if any of you all are so inclined. <laughs> Um, I like, I thought it was really sweet mm -hmm. and I thought it was pretty, uh, I thought everybody did a wonderful job. One of the other reviews talked about, and we sort of alluded to this at the beginning, you have like the, the young woman playing Winnie Foster was actually about 11 and 12 years old when the show was happening. And although Andrew Keenan Bolger always looks the same, yeah. he's like one of those, you know, <laughs> like he's like, it's like he sleeps in, you know, like in a freezer or something. <laughs> I don't know, but he just doesn't, you know, yeah. he doesn't age. No, he doesn't. Um, it, still, you know, when he is 11. Mm -hmm. And so I understood then why the 2002 one had the two actors look about the same age. Yeah, they made her older. Mm-hmm. I kind so of... So in that, she was 15 in that movie, okay. and he was 17, so it's not, you know. I kind of, I mean, I don't mind the idea of her being younger, because I mm -hmm. think that it really highlights the detriment his living for so long yeah. stuck in a 17-year-old body did. Yeah. You know, he's still, everyone who sees him sees him as a kid, but yeah. he's 104 years old. Right. Like he's lived his entire life, but now he's still considered a kid. Like he never probably right. gets the respect. He never probably gets to just be an adult. Right. And so like, I'm, I, I can understand that he's probably stunted emotionally speaking. Yeah. It's, but it's, but it's problematic because to see that, to read about it is one thing. To read right. about it is complete fantasy, but to see it in front of your eyes that this quote-unquote grown man and this 11-year-old child are talking about getting married someday. Mm -hmm. A little skeezy. Yes. Yeah. And that is hard to palate. Yep. Yep. I think it was Terry Teachout um, who's, who specifically said like that just like creeped him out a little bit, mm -hmm. which is completely understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I also wonder too, I, we might have talked about this in previous episodes. I don't remember, but, uh, you notice this kind of trend 
happening in each Broadway season where you have a theme there's, and nobody talks to each other about it. It just happens. So you happen to have Finding Neverland and Tuck Everlasting in the same season. Yeah, yeah. You've got like this almost like oversaturation of the basically the same show. I mean, uh, the Wild Party, Andrew Lippa and Lacusa came out the same, like basically yes. were running at the same time. Right. That's why we did that dueling episode. Right, exactly. <laughs> then you have all of these vampire ones that all come out at the same time. And you're just mm-hmm. like, what is it? What is it? How does that Don't happen? Know. That everyone Especially because, like, you know, with this show, they've been working on it seven years. Yeah. You know, so it's it's not like it was, like, planned. It, no. and, and they wanted it to come in two years prior. Right. It's just, like, the way the cookie crumbled kind yeah. of a thing. And, it's, and yeah. so, you know, the other thing I think this, this poor, sweet show, like, it was 2016. Mm-hmm. 2016 was Hamilton year. 2016 was, um, was, was a shuffle along year. You know, it, it was not an easy year to break through. No. I, there, I think what Broadway needs to be is a place where the heavy hitting shows and the low budget shows mm-hmm. can live at the same time yeah and and not be expected to outshine one another they're right. just amazing theater that's right we need a new broadway ecosystem yeah maybe we'll get one i hope so I lord hope knows so that was one of the questions that i wanted to ask michael Riedel when we interviewed him yeah that now that Broadway is, is closed down and like, we're going to see some sort of change. Do you think that the theater producer or the theater owners are going to have to work together with Mm -hmm. the producers instead of like right now, the balance of power is all in the theater owner's hands. That's right. And you, you, unless you have the moolah, you're not going to get that house. Right. And that is unfortunate because it means yeah. that so many talented and amazing shows have probably not even been produced because they simply can't get a theater that's willing to take a chance on them. We have this conversation all the time, me yeah. and the other up and coming producers just about like, cause it's so flipped, you know, you and I have done so many episodes and we talk about, I mean, we've, we've, gone from Broadway in like the 40s and 50s all the way, you know, to current. And when you look at this major flip-flop that's happened, where, you know, it used to be like the theater owners started producing because they yes. needed shows in their right. theaters. Well, and, and now was- we flipped and yes. like, it's just like Tuck Everlasting had to wait two, three years mm-hmm. because there were no, sh- there were no, yeah. yeah. That, because, uh, and I'm going to plug his book again, because I have to, Singular yeah. Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway, written by Michael Riedel. It's uh, the second in his, I guess, series about Broadway. The first was Razzle Dazzle. What was the end part uh, of Razzle Dazzle, The Fight for Broadway? The, sum, the something for Broadway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the battle. <laughs> okay, there you go. Razzle Dazzle, The Battle for Broadway. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is his most current book, Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway. But he talks about early, you know, early days, 70s, 80s were kind of what he was talking about mostly. Um, but saying that, you know, theater owners were vying, they were wooing, they were courting yeah. shows because they wanted them in their theaters. It wasn't the other way around, but now right. it's like these shows have to bend over backward and show credit reports for the last eight years. And, and, you know, it's like, you have to you <laughs> go through all, jump through all of these hoops for, you know, no, ugh. you don't even know if you're going to get the theater. I know. It's yeah. Really like, let's just, how about, we make that a democracy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go in. <laughs> we we've talked so much about like what if Broadway weren't just these theaters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
open it up to smaller, the, you know, the theaters mm -hmm. that we consider to be off Broadway or even yeah. not even off Broadway, but just like, you know, small theaters. Mm -hmm. Let's let them be a Broadway house as well. Let's give the people an option to go see a Broadway show for $45. Yeah. And then you can go across the street and see one for 450 Yeah. Let's do that. Let's, you know, let's, let's offer people the option because if they don't have the option of seeing a show that they can actually afford, then they're not going to go. And yeah. then that will be the biggest detriment because then you will have this whole generation of people that will be without seeing this gorgeous art form in its entirety on Broadway. Like that's it's what's happening. That is what's happening. But also I'm kind of wondering because now that we're having to kind of be really super creative as far as our digital um, uh, Broadway uh, footprint is concerned. Mm -hmm. Now I wonder if maybe once we come back from this, we don't need a theater. Who needs a theater? I can do it in I my living room. I really, I like we we've been saying like that. It feels like it's really theater's really been democratized mm -hmm. because you know even for like you know I, I was listening to um, I think it was Three on the Isle and they were just saying you can watch a really beautiful production of a show from a tiny little theater in Canada yeah. that you wouldn't have been able to get to before. Let's open up the possibility yeah. of of the little girl in central Illinois to see a Broadway show in her living room because yeah. you filmed it with the original people and are streaming it live or are at least showing it in some form or fashion. Yeah. He's willing to pay for her parents will pay for it for her. Mm -hmm. We'll pester them enough. <laughs> But she wants the opportunity to see that. She wants to be yeah. represented. And so does the little boy, the little black boy in Harlem that yeah. made a TikTok video to, oh shoot, I lost his name again. The man who wrote uh, Slave Play. Jeremy O'Harris. O'Harris. I was gonna say Owens and I knew that that was wrong. So Jeremy <laughs> O'Harris, right? Yeah. This little black boy from Harlem sent him a video that said, I, I want to see your play. I've read it and I love it. And I really want to see it. And then Jeremy O'Harris's response to him saying, you're the one I wrote it for. Mm. You're the one I want to see it. You're the one that I want to make theater accessible to. Yeah. That is important. We're talking about it being important to be diverse on Broadway, let's get diverse in the audience. Let's yeah. get diverse so that everybody has a chance to be taken away and transported to a completely different place for two hours. Yeah, yeah. That's magical. Yeah, it is. Yep. Let, let them sing along <laughs> with the cast recording and, and sing along with the people that look like them. Yeah. And then know that someday they'll be able to go and see a show. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, it is. And I, um, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Michael Riedel or some, I can't remember. There's somebody else. But they were just talking about how, um, you know, we're looking at what's happening to our country and storytelling is really the way that we open people's minds and open yeah. their eyes. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. I get overwhelmed all the time about the colossal amount of work <laughs> that needs to be done. Yeah. And a few months ago, like when I started the think tank, I had a week where I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little... I'm a little beat down. Like yeah. I just, the work is a lot. But what is the alternative? Mm -hmm. Not do it. And then what? People die? No, thank you. Yeah. Well, and you'll still be feeling the same way. Right. So feel your feelings. Sure. Have your And keep going. And then get up. And, yeah, exactly. And then get up and go back to work. Mm hmm Absolutely. There, there are solutions to these problems and we might not have them, but other people do. And so by talking it and by opening the discussion up across colors, across 
genders, mm -hmm. you know, across all of those margins, yeah. you know, we're going to be able to get loads of ideas and possibly loads of solutions. Right, right. Think so. Yep. It's happening. I, yeah, it's happening. It happening. And Ebony, I just want to cheer you up by saying that we have a female black vice president. Yes, we do. And I think that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> that is pretty darn remarkable. I can't, I, like, I, I, I've said this a lot, but I did not think we'd make it to the White House first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I will go to my grave being so proud as a Black woman that Black women put a Black woman in the White House <laughs> yeah. first. It's really incredible. You should be proud. <laughs> Bless. All right. On that note, geeks, thank you so much for listening. We yeah. love you. We appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, uh, no, this won't be Thanksgiving. <laughs> no. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGABWAY. And on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us, or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, drop us a note at TGABWAY at gmail.com. Until, Until next time, time geeks. geeks. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.